everybody. Welcome to another episode of All the WrestleManias, the podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. Thanks for joining us today. It's a rainy and gloomy and gray day here, but we're uh, going to do our best to get through it by talking about some old-fashioned wrestling. Uh, we're going to do a special uh, We Were There episode of All the WrestleManias. Now, we've done a few of these in the past for events that Rich and I have attended in person. I think, believe our first one was King of the Ring 1994, which Rich went to on uh, Father's Day and met Macho Man at the grocery store and committed some election fraud and... Uh, that was that was a good story. So you should go back and check that out. Yeah, I called uh, I called the Georgia and asked them for find me thirteen thousand votes, and <laughs> they did. It was pretty cool. Yeah, and get him right right to the old King of the Rings. So good job, Rich. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about Capital Punishment twenty ten from our nation's capital, God, which was you. mostly just punishing to watch again. Yes, that was not good. That was twenty ten. No. Why did you have to go to that show? I'm sorry. I don't get it. So this is a this is a much better one. Um, this is an epic one, actually. This is a maybe an all timer. This is the WWF Survivor Series from November nineteenth, nineteen ninety five, from the U.S. Air Arena, formerly the Capitol Center, and now just known as a pile of rubble and Wegmans. I think it, I think <laughs> there's there a Wegmans there. I think that's where the the Landover Wegmans is, and that's where I think the Magic Johnson movie theater was oh, at some okay. point. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a. Uh, it's a town center, shopping center now kind of thing. Yeah. Also the site of um, Heavy Metal Parking Lot. That's where that was filmed, if you're familiar yeah. with that. Uh, so it was, a, it was an epic place. It was a storied location. A friend of mine saw the Rolling Stones there in, uh, I think it was the, I'm going to say it was the only it was the only rock and roll tour. And he paid all kinds of money for like front and center seats because he's like, well, clearly these guys are about to retire any day now, so I better catch him now. And this was like 1980. <laughs> so, of course, here we are, uh, whatever this is, 40 years later. Yeah. Um, I think my brother saw ACDC and Pink Floyd there, I believe. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, so this this was a, a big time concert stop on the arena circuit it was washington dc's arena until the mci center then the verizon center now the capital one center was constructed right uh the u.s air arena i think is like the first arena i can think of that ever had like a sponsored name uh not just being called like the capital center or being named after some dude but yeah. yeah, we should look it up and see when it actually changed. I'm sure somebody out there knows the answer. I'm sure Wikipedia knows the answer. Yeah, um, it see. was demolished in 2002. Opened 73, closed March 2002, demolished 2002. So, Yeah, in 1993 it took on the name. Yeah, that's pretty early. I I was there. It was one of... The, it might have been the only time I'd ever been to that building. I had never been to like a Caps or a Bullets game uh, before. Yes, youngins, the Wizards used to be the Bullets, and they used to be out of Baltimore and D.C., and they alternated between the Cap Center and the Baltimore Arena. So that had to be tough. On <laughs> Like, I don't... You have two home fields, or do you have no home fields? I, Which, I feel like you probably have no home fields. You have like half of a home field. But anyway, yeah. the attendance uh, on this bad boy is 14,500, which is pretty good. Uh, Wikipedia says that that venue held about 18,500 or so. So um, pretty well, pretty well stacked. Um, and uh, tagline for this one is teams of Federation superstars battle it out. Who's fit to survive? That's, 
That's pretty much, that's like two whole sentences. That's not really a tagline, but that's okay. And they crammed that on the poster too. It's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's harsh. And uh, it's, it's interesting that the promotional poster for this event is Diesel and Shawn Michaels, not like Diesel and Brett, like on the program from, from this event. I have a souvenir program still. I recently had it signed by Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. I am stalking Kevin Nash now to try. <laughs> uh, it does look like he's going to be at an event in Charlotte very soon. And that's just too far to drive for one person's autograph. But Yeah, that, that event is like a three-day thing, which sounds both fun and horrifying at the same time. Yeah, because, I mean, all those kind of conventions are exhausting. And then, like, three days and it's only wrestlers it's going to get sweaty. It's going to get smelly. And I mean, those comic cons are already kind of like that, but this one's probably going to be worse because it's wrestling and wrestling fans. So (laughs) yeah, a lot of grown men walking around with belts on their shoulders. Yeah. Um, For no reason that they did not win. You purchased your championship like Ted DiBiase. It doesn't count. That's right. You jerk off. Nobody asked. I'm going to tell you anyway. uh, I went to the Tidewater Comic Con at the Virginia Beach Convention Center last Sunday, uh, and there were two main people that I wanted to see there. One was, oh, three main people. Tag Team Demolition, of course, our buddies Axe and Smash, Bill Eady and Barry Darso. They were there. They were a lot of fun. They were. They. I think either they remembered us from, um, you know, from talking to them in Maryland, or they were just really good at bullshitting me. Um, Either way, it's fine. Uh, We had a. Had a nice chat. We talked about some old school wrestling, some of the stuff that we've watched recently that uh, I think, what was it, uh, Madison Square Garden show where he was the mass, Bill Eady was the mass superstar. Yeah, and, against Wahoo um, McDaniel, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. He told me a funny story about that, actually. I was going to tell you. Um, so he said, he was telling me that at the time, his wife was also um, Native American and she and Wahoo like sort of got along pretty well. They're from different uh, tribes or whatever. But um, he um, he was saying, you know, those chops that Wahoo used to lay on you were, you know, pretty serious, <laughs> and you would carry that shit around for uh, weeks or so. Um, but his wife, I guess, got all up in uh, Wahoo McDaniel's face and told him, uh, <laughs> "I better not see the evidence of your match on my husband's chest tomorrow night." <laughs> oh man. And so he actually kind of took it easy on the chops that night, which I think Mr. Edie appreciated and his wife appreciated. So that was kind of funny. That is funny. Um, and then Wahoo I, really laid them in. We, oh, my God. I remember commenting on that. Like, Wahoo was, like, trying to kill people with those chops every time we've seen him. So, yeah. The, um, Mr. Edie said, you were, you were in for a bad night. He said it was a bit of a struggle to survive in with that guy. Um, so, and then uh, Barry Darso um, had a kind of funny, um, just a little like eight by 10. It was said like the many faces of Barry Darso and it had Crusher Khrushchev and it had smash and it had, um, the repo man and it had, um, I think the golfing guy was, was even wow. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, has has anybody had more gimmicks than you? And he's like, I don't think so. He's like, there's probably like 11 of them. (laughs) So, well, that's why you keep that little (laughs) handy eight by 10 there. So you can remember them all. So, that's good. Yeah. Uh, nice guys. And then I also talked to Sergeant Slaughter. Um, he looks amazing. I don't know how he does it. Like, he looks, like, exactly the same. I don't know if he's had, uh, you know, his chin reconstructed with titanium or something to keep it, like, that prominent. But um, he was there. He had a big flag backdrop, which means that, you know, the the posters or the pictures came out looking pretty good. Uh, I got an 8x10, and I got a T-shirt with him. And photo op for an extra twenty bucks, he would put the uh, 
the person in a uh, cobra clutch, which would make a fun picture, but I I, I didn't feel like coughing up the twenty bucks. I've, I felt a little bit bad about that, so I didn't. It didn't seem right to me. You should have texted me right away. I would have Venmoed you the money. <laughs> no problem. No problem. I would have been worried that you would have Venmoed him like 50 and said, just make sure he doesn't get out of it. Put yeah. it in stiff. <laughs> Lock it in. So you know, He was real nice. I, I told him that we were watching his uh, his match against, um, let's see. Well, it was from that same Madison Square Garden show. Who was it? He and somebody were, oh, it was um, Ivan Putsky. Yeah, we're beating the holy crap out of each other. Um, so we talked a little bit about that for a minute. Anyway, nice. uh, yeah, you're, you meeting him actually spurred some real life conversations uh, for me because um, people saw our social media about it, but then they didn't comment on it. They just waited until they saw me to talk about it. Um, so basically, uh, they were asking like, you guys have basically crapped on him a ton for stolen valor. And yet here you are posing a photo with him and sharing a photo and like, it's like, listen, he's a really nice guy <laughs> and he retweets our podcast multiple times. And so we can't help but like him. But at the same time, he's got this horrible flaw of staying in kayfabe just a little too much. Yeah. Uh, that's so. It's okay to still be walking around. I'm Sergeant Slaughter. Blah blah blah. But when you're going on Armed Forces Radio and telling war stories that didn't happen to you, yeah, that's not cool. That uh, yeah, that part right. that part's not okay. Um, and I do wonder a little bit about you know how many people know that he wasn't actually a Marine at this point. You know, I mean, I feel like people who like know wrestling and watch wrestling understand but maybe maybe not i don't know um one of the interesting things i noticed was standing in that line the first the three or four people in front of me all were um veterans or active duty um and that's you know that's part of living in this area uh there's huge navy bases here there's navy people all over the damn place there's marines uh the other branches are all here too um and they all had like a story for him one of them said oh you know i was on the the carrier when you came and did the you know the uso show that did something something or another one said i was on the um i was on the ship that launched the seal team that got bin laden or whatever it was you know and um and they all like wanted to share that with him and kind of uh and he was you know he was very respectful you know thank you for your service all that stuff i just thought it was kind of an interesting um thing to observe that is a fascinating thing because, like, it's there. There's absolutely zero proof of him serving in the military. Uh, armed, the, there's an armed forces magazine that has actually done a deep dive and demonstrated that he has not been in the military. So it is interesting. Maybe it's part of that whole like the GI Joe toy as well. Maybe yeah. like fully selling it because I mean. If he had really served, I think he would have had a real tough time pretending to be an Iraq sympathizer during the uh, Gulf War. Um, so at least no one came up to him and said, I was in the shit with you or anything like that. <laughs> so uh, I guess yeah. he is an interesting phenomenon with, with that. Like, I don't think, I can't imagine any other pro wrestler has that kind of thing going on, except for maybe uh, Paul White, the big show. Because of his initial gimmick of being introduced as Andre the Giant's son, he says that people still come up to him and say how much they loved his father. And he's like, you you don't really know my father? Because my father is not Andre the Giant. 
Yeah. So, well, it's a, it, I think it's a phenomenon about celebrity in general. You know, when you meet somebody, you try to find that thing that sort of makes some connection for you. You know, like so when I met Demolition, I talked to them about. Um, you know, watching them on TV when I was a kid and being sort of scared stiff by their uh, by their gimmick and the you know the whole the metal and the hoods and all that stuff and it's like I don't know I think to an extent you try to find something that uh, gives you something to talk about somebody who you really don't know you know their persona right and so in his case his persona is the military guy so people's reaction is just to go that route um, anyway it was a, it was an interesting thing to see um, I I. I think you may be onto something with the uh, G.I. Joe thing. I actually mentioned uh, a friend of mine who's uh, maybe about the same age, maybe a little bit older than me, but who didn't really watch wrestling growing up. But he did watch G.I. Joe. So he's like, oh, I didn't realize Sergeant Slaughter was a wrestler. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Uh, yeah. I so said, you know, he was, wrestled, he was wrestling for 15 years before the G.I. Joe money came along. Uh, so anyway, they did have also... Uh, Sergeant Slaughter, like G.I. Joe toys and Funko Pops, and I really thought about it because they were kind of just cool looking, but they yeah. were, they definitely wanted too much money. So, how much does Slaughter just charge for the photo op and autograph? I think it was forty for the um, autograph, or forty for a picture, or sixty for both. Mm, okay, that's on par with about folks like Ted DiBiase charges and stuff that's, like that. Yeah, so. that's pretty standard. Um, so I I got a uh, show special. I got the the photo the autograph and the t-shirt for 80 which i didn't think was bad so basically i just paid 20 bucks for the t-shirt so yeah it's a nice looking t-shirt anyway i didn't mean to go off on a thing but that um just something fun uh other recent events news whatever you want to call it hopefully you all caught our uh, rundown on wrestlemania 27 that was a fun one to record hopefully you also caught our interview with mr excellence brandon scott um really superstar alum from uh, maryland championship wrestling and now working for virginia championship wrestling super nice guy lots of uh fun wrestling stories uh big mr perfect fan um so i i like talking to brandon yeah and uh and on top of that if you want to meet us for some weird reason <laughs> we will be at the virginia championship wrestling event at old dominion university this coming weekend uh we will both be there i am biting the bullet and driving the four plus hours to go down to norfolk from washington dc suburbs to visit with tim and to watch a ton of indie wrestling yeah it's going to be awesome so the, there's a panel discussion on june 2nd 7 p.m at the university theater off of hampton boulevard just across from uh Old Dominion University, and uh, Mr. Excellence is going to be on the panel there, along with the director, Jerry Stefanitsis. He's the director of operations for VCW. And Jonathan, the reason, Elliot, who uh, I, is their talent coordinator, but I didn't realize, just learned today, he was also a uh, tag team champion in Chikara. He's also a former Liberty, Liberty Lottery belt holder for VCW, so he's got some uh, wrestling cred of his own. Not, he's not just behind the curtain. And we've got two um, phenomenal academics from ODU. Dr. Mark Willett is a uh, scholar in English. He's done some really cool stuff about uh, wrestling and media um, and gender roles. Uh, one of his articles is titled, uh, If You Want to Be the Man, You Got to Beat the Man. <laughs> um, nice. 
And then Dr. Miles McNutt is our other one. He does uh, media and especially television and sort of writes about fan culture and fandom. Um, so those those five panelists, and then I'll be moderating. So that one's June 2nd. And then June 3rd, over to you, 2 p.m. for the first show. We're calling that the Matinee Madness, maybe? And then the 7 p.m. is the Primetime Pandemonium. Um, VCWProWrestling.com for tickets and stuff. I think there's still some available. So anyway, we'll be there. We'll wear. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to wear yet, but you'll you'll be able to f- to spot us. Absolutely, we'll be acting like maniacs. I have to be somewhat professional because it's like I'm sponsoring it as uh, you know an ODU um, dean, so I can't like I can't get like faced and like drop an elbow on anybody. But um, we can still have a good time. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> good. That's my job. <laughs> Yeah, well, and so, and Mr. Excellence is going to face the boar in the evening match, and we've talked to the boar as well, so you should check out all those episodes. Um, we're just we're just raking in all the independent wrestling talent over here. So are you ready to talk uh, Survivor Series 95? Absolutely, let's do it. We gave you the venue, the commentary team here is Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Mr. Perfect. It is um, the return of Mr. Perfect. That's right. They make a big deal out of it. Yeah. He looks great. He sounds great. <laughs> So, so since this is a we were there, tell us a little bit about how you, um, you know, learned about that show and how you ended up getting tickets. How you how you got down there, who you went with, that sort of thing. Well, this was a lot more of a standard standard fair uh, event. Uh, at this point, I was mainlining professional wrestling as much as possible, and the they made the announcement that tickets were going on sale and this is still like the olden days. So it's, um, like a local broadcast commercial that tells you it's not like, like on the ticker running on the bottom where they're going to be during the main, uh, broadcast. It's like a local advertisement, like all your favorite superstars, blah, blah, blah. Like just like hammer, they hammer at you. Like it's Vince McMahon screaming into like a really cheap microphone about it and stuff. Uh, so immediately I was like, well, we need to go. And uh, I pestered and pestered and pestered my dad, uh, for us to go. So we, uh, went on down to the security square mall to the hex, I believe that had the ticket master booth on the second floor up there tucked away weird i don't understand why this was but this was the time that ticketmaster had physical locations and i don't know why it was in the second story of the hex (laughs) at the mall ours was at the boscovs at the galleria yeah so i guess that's just a thing they just put they just put offices in department stores anyways we stood in line we the, the lady pulled out the the laminated sheet with the seating chart for the for the US Air Arena and we chose our seats that were on the floor probably about 10 rows back along the aisle um but uh at the entrance aisle I should say but not we weren't right on the aisle it was this you know that side of things um I do believe it's possible to see a 15 year old me briefly i think i sent you a screen cap of it uh very briefly it may have been me it may not have been me uh i do believe it was just my dad and i that went to this event i don't think my friend joey came along too anyways um yeah this was a much more conventional thing and i remember it being a it was november and it was cold and uh i had never been there and i don't think my 
dad had possibly ever been there either, but he kind of worked in the area, so he knew how to get there because this was before MapQuest and all that kind of stuff. You had to actually read the road signs on how to get there and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's that's basically it. I didn't dress up for this one. I didn't make a sign. I didn't accost Todd Pettengill. I do remember seeing the presidential box and being confused and being like, there's no way in hell the president's actually here. And then for a split second, because I was only 15, going, that is the president? And then it's like, no, that's not the president. He really looks like the president. Like They did a good job with this one. Yeah, the Not first... like the Barack Obama at the, at the Capitol punishment. That guy was terrible. Yeah, the, no, the first time he comes on screen, it's like, wait, it, wait, wait. Yeah. Did this really happen? I was just, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, here's the picture you sent. That is, I'm pretty sure that's you. It looks like you. Yeah, yeah. Me trying to get at Ahmed Johnson because I was a major Ahmed Johnson mark at this time. Mm. Uh, so, and he had just he had just debuted, too. But like, I was sold on him immediately. The dude looks like an action figure. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, so I was immediately roped in and, like, hooked on him. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that is actually me trying to trying to fight my way over to try and get a high five from him. So. Nice. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a nice little souvenir. Here's one for a lucky fan. Um, going back to the Ticketmaster thing, do you remember it, whenever they would do those announcements, they would always end up by saying, at all Ticketmaster and Ticketron outlets? Because there, yes. there were, like, two services at the time, and – Sort of like VHS and Beta, Ticketmaster wiped out poor Ticketron. Yeah, I remember there was also a, a the record and tape traders in Catonsville mm-hmm. also sold uh, Ticketmaster stuff, but we didn't go there. I think, and I remember we were there on the day that the tickets went on sale at the Hex, and there was we had to sit in a line, and it was very reminiscent of when we would go with my like grandparents to buy the tickets for the Ringling Brothers Circus and stuff like that. You always had to sit in a line and wait and wait and wait for them to open and stuff. So, Well, that's fun. Well, I'm glad yeah. you were there so we get a chance to watch it. 1995, I was in my first year of college at Shippensburg University. Um, let's see, November. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing in November, but I was, I was probably drinking too much. So not really much has changed, basically. Um, no. <laughs> Um, any uh, background on this event before we get into the actual card? Well, this coming into this event, uh, Diesel is the champion, and he has been champion for almost a year. He is the longest reigning. This is his longest title reign and the longest title reign of anybody in the 1990s for WWF. Um, so that that's really the big the big thing that's going into this show. Uh, you have some other things happening. So you have the click has formed in the WWF, uh, between Shawn Michaels, one, two, three kid diesel, uh, and triple H, uh, Bret Hart claims at some point he was invited to join and declined. I don't, I don't necessarily Uh, believe that, but okay. Uh, and then also basically one entire team is another backstage click. And that is, uh, the bone street crew. That contained uh, Undertaker, Savio Vega, Fatu, Henry Godwin. So those are the four that we see together. But also Yokozuna was part of that. And Samu and uh, several other comma slash godfather slash good father. Charles, what's his name? I can't remember. Uh, Charles Wright was, was also a member of the Bone Street crew. So... And at one point, even when uh, Fatu comes to the ring, he's also 
wearing uh, a Bone Street Crew hat. Uh, so it's a it's an interesting time. The, the the locker room is basically split between those two cliques and then the remainder. I think it's adorable. They have like little clubs, little like pirate yeah. pirate clubs, like with uh, their own hats and t shirts and. I'm sure they had secret handshakes and stuff. Yeah, so I don't think the click went that far. And back back in this time, you know, there really wasn't the internet or anything like that. So you didn't re- people didn't really know about this stuff unless it's like talked out loud. So like if you're watching this and you just see Fatu wearing a, the BSK hat, you're like, uh, uh, okay, well he's got the letters BSK on a hat. I don't know what that stands for, but okay. Um, but it's actually his little backstage click. Cute. Yeah. Well, so in terms of matches, um, the first one that we actually don't see because it's a dark match was the Smoking Guns. That was Billy and Bart versus the Public Enemy, which is Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge. Um, I don't need to see that one. We've noted the Public Enemy in one of our previous uh, specials. Both of those guys are no longer with us, which is too bad, but I still don't need to watch that match. Um, Billy Gunn, Jesus. Can't, I, I can't believe how long he's been around <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And how amazing he still looks. The first proper match that we see, though, is the Body Donnas, which is Skip, uh, which is uh, actually Chris Candido, Rad Radford, Dr. Tom Pritchard, and 123 Kid Sean Waltman with Sonny and Ted DiBiase versus, on the other side, the underdogs, and that's Marty Jannetty, Hakushi, Barry Horowitz, and Bob Holly. This was a classic four-on-four Survivor Series elimination match. I don't know they would have classified Bob Holly as an underdog, although maybe he was at the time. I don't remember. At this point, yeah. I mean, Bob Holly never really makes it to the tippy-top, so. Yeah, that's true. And the closest Marty Jannetty ever really got was he was Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Barry Horowitz, you know, he finally got a WrestleMania match that one time. Mm-hmm. And Hakushi sadly never got used to his full potential i loved hakushi hakushi was one of my favorites that guy's rad i like him a lot yeah and he has a there's a match with him and bret hart at some point that is excellent as well oh yeah um so i recommend trying to find that um i had to look up who rad radford was i had no memory of him (laughs) yeah he performed in mexico under the ring name madonna's boyfriend and he was in ECW <laughs> as Luis Piccoli. Uh, wow. So, yeah. That's a hell of a gimmick. What's your gimmick? I'm Madonna's boyfriend. <laughs> like, it's Mexico. Don't worry about it. Um, I don't know. Uh, the um, the Body Donnas uh, win this one. Um, I didn't take a whole lot of notes. I was impressed with Hakushi throughout. That guy, he just looks so tough. He's just like a solid block of muscle. He's He has a sort of, um, uh, what do I want to say, great muda kind of like build to him um yeah that's sort of like that kind of stocky muscular sort of like martial arts i really like the like the writing the uh, i assume they're fake tattoos maybe i don't know on his face makes him look extra scary one it's important to point out that the one two three kid at this point has turned heel he has taken a bribe from ted dibiase and that eventually leads uh to um mr perfect saying that at one point someone almost knocked the price tag off the kid which is a nice line um, Mr. Perfect also refers to himself as an all sport athlete uh, in in juxtaposition to Bob Holly who is car racer Bob Holly at this point mm-hmm. sparky plug uh, prior to that uh, So, but he's still in the car NASCAR driving gimmick um, 
Yeah, that's that's really all that's really here to, to call out. Except for at one point, Skip does a front face bump, but he didn't really take any impact, and it literally made me scared for a second. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't remember him dying in the ring at this show, because <laughs> uh, like he just suddenly just like faints and keels over yeah. and goes down, and it's like, oh my god, is he okay? And then he's, he's fine. It's just a weird, weird timing front face bump. I don't know why he chose to do it. Like. Was he watching too much Ric Flair the night before? I was just looking up Cushy. And so he actually started as a as a luchador, trained mm-hmm. in uh, Mexican Lucha Libre. And then he actually later, after his WWE career, became uh, like a chairman at uh, Mishinoku Pro Wrestling in Japan. His character with the the Buddhist um, like little sayings and stuff written all over his skin is apparently a, a riff on a Japanese folk character. So that's a, that's a thing that I learned while we were talking mm-hmm. about it. Moving on, you ready to move on? Yeah, this is this is a bit of a two match show, but there's some good stuff along the way. There is a brilliant promo from Jim Cornette after that match. He uh, lays down that uh, Razor Ramon is ready for a rumble room at the Puzzle Factory. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it was pretty hilarious sound. Rubber room, a rubber room, at rubber the room, factory. rubber yeah. room, rubber room. It sounded like rubble rumble room, and I rewound it and watched it like five times. I still didn't, still didn't get it, folks, because uh, Cornette just talks so fast. And then uh, he ends it with, as you know, what they say: if you can't get along, we're gonna get it on. Like nice. Nice. Yeah, that was a really awesome promo. He has a couple of really good promos in this one. Actually, uh, he's all he's all over this one. Everybody, he's representing everybody. He's everybody's manager. It's hilarious. I wonder. Uh, I wonder how many appearance fees he got for this one because he's he's out there. I hope we he should, got a lot. <laughs> we should make sure to tag him when we post this. Maybe he yeah uh, he can he can talk about it. Um. So the next uh, Survivor Series elimination match is the women's one. So this is um. This is an interesting one. Okay, so on one side we've got Bertha Faye, Aja Kong, Tomoko Watanabe, and Lioness Asuka with Harvey Whippleman. Uh, and on the other side we've got Alundra Blaze, Kyoko Inoue, Saki Hasegawa, and Chaparita Asari. Um, and so some of these, t- the last two of these women don't even have Wikipedia pages. Um, everybody else does. Uh, Alundra Blaze, of course, was a big deal. Um, and she was, she was around. She was pretty good. Um, yeah, she actually still claims to be the WWF Women's Champion, by the way. Oh, really? Because <laughs> uh, she was like, I've never been defeated for the belt. But I think throwing it in the trash can on WCW television counts as abdicating the title. I would just, think so, too, yeah. Just saying. Better known as uh, Medusa, of course. <laughs> Apparently she drives monster trucks now. Yes. Yes, she does. <laughs> Good for her. I think that's awesome. Also, she was married to um, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Uh, mm-hmm. But she married and divorced him in 1990. So, in and out. <laughs> I wasn't meant to be. Um, I'd say this one actually was a lot more fun than I expected it to be. Yes. Um, Aja Kong fucking works her ass off. She's, she's kind of incredible. Like, she's kind of this like stubby little lady. She's not like particularly muscular or she doesn't look like anything at all, honestly. Um, but she's she, a pit bull. She just freaking, she's incredible. She's 52 now. So I she swear been, we saw her on something else. I think so too, but I can't remember. But she showed up on AEW a couple of years ago. Oh, really? Maybe that's where where um, I'm thinking of her, of, of having seen her before. Yeah, because, I mean, the only, she was in WWF briefly. This is basically it for her. 
and we haven't watched anything else. So, yeah, but she is vicious and mean and built. My God. Um, but this match, though, just starts off fire right away. It lets you, there's a really snug kick to the face right away at the start of this match. It lets you know this is a real wrestling match. This isn't any kind of women's diva kind of match or anything. And you can hear the crowd go, oh, <laughs> right away on that first shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is serious. Like, uh, oh, I, I don't know if Strong Style is, is accurate or not. I don't know enough about the sort of dis- the distinctions, but it seems like kind of typical Japanese Strong Style stuff where people are just really getting whacked. <laughs> um, yeah. And Kong, uh, actually, not to spoil it, but she gets all four of the pins for her team. <laughs> She's just yeah. such a badass. I really like it a lot. Yeah, and the referee is a young Mike Kyoto. Hey, Mike Kyoto. Uh, if you didn't notice, but that's Mike Kyoto, who we'll be seeing down in VCW this coming weekend. Mm-hmm. And this is the first women's Survivor Series match since 1987, the first Survivor Series. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's there was a guy sitting in the front row through this entire match just with his jaw on the floor. Just like... <laughs> incredible he is blown away and i mean you know the one the one wrestler she was really tiny i had a really hard time catching the name so i apologize she lands a sky twister press so like she jumps off the top rope in like a pike position and spins like 450 500 degrees and lands flat on the other person just like and it's fast it's Incredibly violent and impressive looking. I think that was um, Chaparita Asari, I think. Okay. She uh, she also later goes for a crossbody on Kong, and it does not work. Kong <laughs> just catches her and throws her. It's incredible. It's another amazing little spot. This match is filled with real cool little things that you don't see a lot in women's wrestling. And all of these folks are properly trained, know what they're doing, and putting on a hell of a show. Alundra Blaze is almost like the worst one in this match she's definitely the odd one out and she does okay to keep up but uh it's it's uh it's a rough one this reminds me there was another uh pay-per-view we watched where there were like a bunch of japanese women in a match and the um the crowd had like no interest at all in it but if you actually watched it it turned out to be one of the standouts of the whole show i don't remember which one you remember which one i'm talking about the one with the war games that we watched yeah, it could have that been. had a that had a, a women's a japanese women's three six woman tag yeah. maybe something like that there were a lot of people like dusty roads couldn't get the names <laughs> right and just kept saying that's a handsome woman and stuff like that <laughs> yeah that's the one that's the one so this is another really, really nice surprise. Um, the first team there of Bertha, Aja, Tamako, and Lioness uh, with Harvey Whippleman uh, gets the win thanks to Aja Kong just, again, single-handedly pinning all four of the uh, opposing wrestlers. Yeah, so. and that's when uh, Jim Ross lets us know that Aja Kong is the national spokesperson for orange juice in Japan, apparently, at this time. <laughs> I don't know how JR knows that. Um, but that is an impressive fact for him to inform us of. Yeah. What was her GPA in college, JR? I know. What football team did she play for? (laughs) Maybe that's how she stays so healthy and strong with all that orange juice. Good for her. Didn't work for Rush Lumbaugh, though. Yeah. Well, there were other things that worked there. The Ajakong diet worked for me. So, um... There's a nice little break from the Survivor Series stuff here in the middle of the show. Um, it's kind of a weird 
It's kind of a weird thing. The show's going along one way, and then all of a sudden, here are uh, Gold Dust. Of course, that's uh, Dustin Rhodes, Dustin Reynolds, versus Bam Bam Bigelow. And there's some good promos, kind of setting yeah. up their little feud. I don't know. They both, like, they can really work. <laughs> that's all I, That's all I wrote down. Like, yeah, they uh, they go fast, and it's incredible. But the Gold Dust promo at the beginning is incredible. So he uh, says that uh, beware the Beast Man; he's the devil's pawn. That's uh, which is a famous line from Planet of the Apes, and that he's waiting in line for a ticket to the biggest show on earth, and now he'll face the tragedy of all his nightmares. <laughs> Damn, Gold Dust! Damn. I love it. Did he write that stuff for himself? Do you think? At this time, I'm sure he did. Yeah, and well, we've called it out before, but but props to him for just like totally leaning in on that character, and just going for it. So, I think I think what makes Goldust amazing is that he never winks at the gimmick. You know, he never no. like he never pulls back and says, "Oh, you guys know this is a joke, right?" He's like, "No, this is me. I am a gold pansexual Hollywood superstar. I'm here to fuck your men and your women." And then beat all of them up also. Um, yeah, and your trees and your kitchen appliances <laughs> and anything that looks at me. Whatever you got, I'm going to have sex with it. That's a gold And nonsense. fight it. And fight it. <laughs> Maybe both. No one will know until it happens. So. Yeah. So one of the most impressive things in this match was that they do some real, like, mat wrestling, almost like collegiate style. Uh, and Goldust shoots the half. He actually like rolls bam bam around and gets him like shoulders down and pinned down and that doesn't end the match but it's a really impressive moment to where these guys are grappling for real uh and it had a very very in more nwa look and i'm sure this that's possibly because dustin had just come over from wcw he hadn't been there for a very long time at this point and bam bam is relatively young at this point too um and they're also using special uh, um, like old school terms like referring to this as the special attraction match which is something you don't really hear used that often anymore Um, and uh, yeah this match was incredibly fun to watch and up there probably one of my favorite Bam Bam Bigelow matches besides his uh, King of the Ring final against Bret Hart yeah he's really good like he's um I mean, we've he doesn't do a whole lot of uh, sort of the aerial stuff that he was kind of known for here, which is an interesting choice. But actually, I think that's the right choice, given the way that, that uh, Goldust is working and the way that they're working together, like you said. Um, I don't know. I I somehow doubt that uh, Dustin has any, like, like collegiate wrestling background, um, but he would have had to have picked up some of that stuff just, just hanging around with other guys who knew how to work, you know. And Goldust wins with a running bulldog, so I guess... That was his old, like, the natural finisher over in WCW. So yeah. I don't think he's got uh, – I can't remember what Goldust actually used for a finisher right now, but I don't think it was that. <laughs> so, yeah, great match. Um, yeah, the special attraction thing is kind of like a – I don't know. It's hard to describe. Maybe it's, it's sort of like a co-main event in a way, but um, but also more like uh, – it is it is yeah. an old-fashioned term. Yeah, so I think the last time we heard it used on this show was at your show, the Capital Punishment show, uh, and that was the match with um, Jack Swagger versus Eric, what's his name, uh, and it was because they had to fill time before the the main event, and so they suddenly sent Justin Roberts out with a, this is a special attraction match, and Jack Swagger and this other guy came down and fought, so 
<laughs> yeah. We're back to our Survivor Series format then for the next two matches here. So the first one is... Uh, well, hold on. Now. Hold on. Did I miss a promo? We we have our first... We have another talk with uh, fake Bill Clinton oh, at this God. point I just, with Bob Backlund. Oh, that one was so bad. It's so horrible. It, we, we, I would let you blow by, but it is so absolutely terrible that after it, Vince McMahon actually corrects Bob Backlund and what he says, because Bob Backlund goes, <laughs> how, how do you, how, how, how do you justify the, the, the expense of the eight, 8,000 federal employees? And, uh, the Clinton impersonator is just like, uh, what? <laughs> And like Todd Pettengill is stuck between them. Like it was the only time I ever felt sympathetic for Todd Pettengill because he's sitting there between these two guys that have absolutely no chemistry, no, not even like planned lines or anything like that. And it's just uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. (laughs) I'm not sure what the point is. So Backlund's in like a a suit and bow tie and he's, of course he got his, his high and tight, like military haircut there. Um, And so I don't know if he's supposed to be like, uh, an he's, arch Republican, or if he's supposed to be like a libertarian, yeah. or what his deal is. So um, he's setting up a gimmick of running for president, and it's the most obnoxious thing, uh, and it's horrible that that uh, that he does. It's like, oh, man, Bob, I wish you just would have not come back after <laughs> Diesel destroyed you in three seconds at at a uh, Madison Square Garden. It's this is so cringy. It's so bad. It's uncomfortable. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead, but the the next one is the dark side. Now this is Undertaker, Savio Vega, Fatu, and Henry O. Godwin, with Paul Bearer in their corner versus the Royals. So that's King Mabel, Jerry the King Lawler, uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who has a you know a fake blue blood lineage, and Isaac Yankum. <laughs> Yeah, aka Jerry Lawler's dentist, aka Jerry Lawler's dentist. So it's the Royals plus Jerry's dentist, uh, and they are with Sir Mo. Uh, another again four and four Survivor Series match. Um, first off, Jerry Lawler has an absolutely gorgeous mullet. It is beautiful, isn't it? It's a work of art. Yeah, it's wavy and it's perfectly wavy. Like it, it's incredible. You couldn't have drawn a better <laughs> mullet on somebody. <laughs> Do you think his hair is like naturally cur- curly and wavy like that, or do you think he had it permed? I think it's. I think he's. I, it's probably a mix. I think he's got a little bit of a wave and and, and curl to his hair because he does now. Uh, but I, there's definitely product happening, <laughs> and probably hours in aluminum foil under a hair dryer. Before yeah. It. No, he looks great though. He looks. He looks fit. He, uh, the dude never ages. He's incredible. No. This one's fun. There's a lot of. Yeah. There's a lot of violence. Some poor local Maryland jobbers carry Mabel out on a on a litter, like the Macho Man's litter from like yonder days. Mabel, five hundred pounds, seven foot tall. These poor sons of bitches are stuck under him carrying him out. It's so bad. It's so terrifying. And but like the entrance is, is amazing. So it's a it's a great visual and then he's got like this dark hip hop gangster rap kind of backing track for his theme coming out it is it is terrifying it's it's the best at the you know i hated king mabel i just hated the whole whole concept but for some reason in this it just worked at this event watching this back yeah and well maybe it's just um having him with the other the others right and uh, yeah 
Um, and so just by the way, Sir Mo there is, uh, of, as in Mabel and Mo as in men on a mission. Yeah. It's um, his former tag team yeah, partner. His former tag team partner. Yeah. And in a way I think, well, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of big dudes, um, here, you know, Fatu, the Godwin undertaker, Savio Vega is on the smaller side <laughs> compared to some of these guys. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and on the other side, Jerry Lawler is probably the smallest of those guys. So it's, uh, it's a lot of, a lot of beef. Slap yeah. around in the ring. And this um, is Undertaker's return right. uh, from the crushed orbital that Mabel gave him. For real, and, though, right? And, and, right. For real in a botched clothesline, supposedly. Uh, crushed his, his orbital bone, and so now he is in his Phantom of the Opera mask, or as Vince McMahon refers to it as the Undertaker with some sort of adhesion on his face. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, Vince? <laughs> Does he not know, like, words? I don't understand. I don't know if, like, someone told him, you know, the SAT scores are down. You need to help the kids get their SATs up. So It's not even used correctly. In, if you could throw in some of these big words, that'd be awesome. God. So kind of kind of the same way that uh, Aja Kong wipes out all the one side on uh, the earlier women's match, The Undertaker kind of plays that role here, and he choke slams and or tombstones virtually everybody on the royal side. Except for Mabel. Except for Mabel, <laughs> who hauls ass out of the ring. Uh, he moved pretty fast for a, for a big guy. Yeah, they went. this match went forever before there was really any eliminations. It was yeah. kind of weird. And then um, I also couldn't help notice, but like seeing Fatu slash Rikishi this young, you, you can see how much his kids, the Usos, resemble him. Like it was terrifying. Like it's like that's that's Jimmy and Jay right there. What yeah. the hell? Like, <laughs> and like we have a we have Baby Kane, Isaac Yankum was Kane. We know that he was also fake Diesel. Mm-hmm. Uh, after after uh, Kevin Nash bites it for WCW, and then also interestingly, I wonder if this is the first time. But Mister Perfect tells Vince McMahon to call Hunter Hearst Helmsley Triple H. Yeah. He likes to go by Triple H. Interesting. So I I don't know if this is the first time, but that is very early in in Hunter Hearst Helmsley's existence in WWF to be called Triple H. Yeah, no, that's true. And it's just frightening that 16 years after this Survivor Series, Triple H and Undertaker have a barn (laughs) burner at WrestleMania. 16 years. (laughs) That's crazy. (sighs) That time period can get a driver's license. So, yeah, if, if Undertaker and Triple H had had a baby when they first met, their uh, their offspring would be driving, could drive to their WrestleMania match. Um, yeah. So this this says that his uh, they shortened his name during the Degeneration X era, which was ninety seven to ninety nine. Um, so that's it's like a full two years before all that. Yeah, Mister Perfect, ahead of the curve. Mister Perfect calling it, and this is <laughs> that's probably around the time when like Jim Cornette. Uh, that everybody takes out a contest where Jim Cornette says that Hunter Hearst Helmsley will never make any money. He has to change his name to Triple H. He has to yeah. do, he has to do something to make himself cool. So yeah, well that and he was that, right. That gimmick was was already that was it was pretty much DOA. Uh, you know the whole blue blood thing with the kind of snotty face and it worked it worked for maybe a little bit, but um, longer term he was going to have to do something. There's some really solid Brett and Diesel promos after this. Yeah. Uh, like kind of old school pre-tapes. Um, 
I'm, Brett is wearing a shirt for his hockey team. <laughs> I noticed that. That's the most Bret Hart thing ever. Diesel says he's a big daddy cool and he isn't paid by the hour. <laughs> this is going to turn into a Bret Hart Stan uh, podcast here for the last however long it takes us to cover that match. But um, God damn, I love that guy. I just he's so good. I like everything he does. Uh, and I don't I don't will never understand people who say he was not as good on the mic or he had boring promos. Like I think his character maybe his character was a little too close to him, but like his character is, is fully formed and it's there in every one of his promos, you know? Like like we've talked about before. He's a he's a serious guy, he takes the business of wrestling seriously, he takes the athletic side of wrestling seriously, he's here to, to do it to the absolute best of his ability, uh, and you better not get in his way. And like that's that's it. That's all it takes, you know. It's real to him, damn it. It's real to him, damn it. So there's also another um, fun fun promo. Uh, let's see. This is the coming for the upcoming um, wild card Survivor Series match. So British Bulldog, Sid Vicious, Ted DiBiase, Ahmed Johnson, HBK, and Jim Cornette are all there um, with uh, Todd Pettengill trying to keep order. Um, good old Pettengill has resting derp faces, whatever, Dan. He always just looks like he's about to go derp, 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 derp. That's why I hated him. That guy sucks. Um, great, another another good uh, cornet because he's he's on both sides because he's got <laughs> folks that he represents on both sides of this match, um, and that's that's because this match is the wild card uh, Survivor Series match where basically uh, Gorilla Monsoon, who was taken over for Jack Tunney decided, well, these eight guys don't have anything to do. Let's put them on the show and let's mix it up. Let's put half half the heels and half the faces together and uh on two separate teams and it'll be and it'll go great. It's gonna go great. <laughs> it's gonna be great. There's a lot of star power here. A lot of guys on the uh on the upswing. Um so on one side you've got Shawn Michaels, Ahmed Johnson, British Bulldog, Psycho Sid with Jim Cornette and Ted DiBiase. And on the other side, you've got Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Razor Ramon, and Dean Douglas with Mr. Fuji. That's, there's a lot of, with the exception of uh, old Dean Douglas, you know, nothing against him, but who? Um, well, I mean, that's Shane Douglas. He's just using the name Dean uh, in WWE. Doug- oh, yeah, from ECW. Yeah, so he's he's uh, Sonny's ex-husband, right? Mm. As you told us earlier. Sure. Not Sonny. Uh, Lundra Blaze's ex-husband. You literally told us that. Like, no, that was um, hot sauce Eddie Gilbert or hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. Eddie Gilbert. Ah, oh, never mind. Fuck it. Yeah, we'll we'll fix it in post. We'll do it live. <laughs> anyway, um, so I kind of like this one. It gets especially yeah. once it gets down to like Bulldog and Razor or like Yokozuna and uh, Ahmed Johnson. Like some of the pairings in here are like freaking phenomenal. Um, there's just. There's yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, you got Yokozuna weighing in at 641 pounds at this time, so that is a full hundred pounds heavier than the last time that he had shown up for us. Uh, yeah, it's and this this match is really confusing though for the audience, and I don't think they should have done it because this is the audience. The audience still here is living by there are good guys and there are bad guys. Don't mix them. <laughs> and so the crowd doesn't know who to cheer for. They don't know what team they want to win because yeah. they want to see Shawn Michaels and Ahmed Johnson win, but they don't want to see Bulldog and Psycho Sid win. 
They want to see Razor Ramon win, but they don't want to see Yoko Owen Hart or Dean Douglas to win. So what you going to do? The crowd doesn't know what to do. And so kind of just kind of just falls flat with the crowd, even though there's some really good stuff that happens in this match. Yeah. It ends up being a, being a, being a bit of a mess. You know what they should have done is just had Ted DiBiase versus Mr. Fuji. I would have watched the shit out of that. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't take too many notes, but, uh, Ahmed Johnson, that guy, man, he's an absolute unit. Uh, it's, it's yep. a shame that he had so many injury problems that kind of kind of kept cutting his career short but he hits that body slam of yokozuna and it does that huge jumping splash on him um right near the end that was really amazing and this is uh ahmed johnson's first pay-per-view and uh he lands the uh his pearl river plunge on owen hart but uh they don't call it that yet so it's they just call it a tiger bomb Hmm. um so you know he's still not there you know they're not they're not quite there with him yet. You're right. There's like a ton of like great matchups in this. Uh, Shawn Michaels ends up getting the Ricky Morton treatment, which I kind of enjoy just watching <laughs> Shawn Michaels and get the shit beat out of him for like ten minutes straight. Yeah. And then um, yeah. And uh, hilariously at the end, Jim Cornette is celebrating because you know, uh, a guy on his team, you know, his team won because the British Bulldog. <laughs> who he's managing <laughs> one yeah. uh even though yoko and owen hart who he's also managing lost but well you know got that one winner he's an agent of chaos he's like the joker he's just just wants to watch the world burn oh the other matchup i enjoyed was um sid and uh scott hall man like that really yeah that really brought home how huge scott hall was like physically huge um because uh, he he holds up pretty well in there against sid uh, yeah, so. and how much money that guy was, Jesus. man! Like he, the the fans went ballistic for him on his entrance, and you know he looks great with that intercontinental belt around his waist. He, oh man, is this too bad? Too bad. What could have been? <laughs> All righty, are we ready for the main event? Well, no, because now we have one more Bill Clinton. Oh God! Here, why? Why do you do this? Well, to me, this Rich? one, this one is hilarious because because Sonny is sitting on his lap, yeah, and they're and they're making all kinds of references and stuff like that, and then and then Mr. Clinton says, "I think I have a spot for you in my cabinet, you, uh, Sonny. You would make a perfect undersecretary." Oh yeah, we're not even in the Attitude Era yet, folks. They're they're getting saucy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. subtle, so subtle. This is this is brought to you by Karate Fighters. <laughs> Hey kids, get some action figures and uh, let your dad action. laugh at this joke about Felatio. He'll love it. Action figures. Uh, this action figure is the undersecretary. Anyway, um, so yeah, so the main event. One also, one other very fascinating little note. Okay, I just so they they pan back to the announcing table. And you can see Mr. Perfect has normal notes and uh, Jim Ross has normal notes. But Vince's notes are covered in ADHD doodles. He's just doodling all like he's he's wired. He is absolutely psyched up. He's probably had 10 cups of coffee that morning and maybe a bump. And he is drawn all over his notes. It's hilarious looking. I, I recommend rewinding and going back and looking. I'll have that. to take a look. He is absolutely awful as a uh yes as a commentator and we've talked about this before he does the same thing one two almost got him 
no what a maneuver what a maneuver what a maneuver what a maneuver you could just have like a soundboard with the buttons there's like four buttons one two no what a maneuver almost got him yeah he doesn't know what stuff it's called necessarily he he just yells um it's not good it's it's objectively bad no it's and no no, please just let Jim Ross talk. <laughs> right, just you got Jim, Jim Ross, Ross and you got Mr. Perfect sitting there. Just maybe don't. Just go sit sit in the back, watch it on the monitor, something. Go, yeah. Go sell t-shirts at the merch stand. Yeah. All just, right. Just, just be quiet. <laughs> so the main event is a no DQ match for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. It's Diesel, of course, Kevin Nash versus Brett the Hitman Hart. Um, this is, uh, they've been feuding off and on. Uh, remember we talked about them at King of the Ring 94, which Rich also saw in person. Uh, now that was a decent match. It wasn't a great match. Um, but this is a great match. This is, this is a top 10, maybe, um, top 10 for Brett and maybe top 10 of, of all time. What do you think? Uh, at least for Brett, probably. And definitely probably in the top three for Diesel. Yeah. And uh, this was the Boar's favorite match, That's right. as he mentioned on our show, uh, which actually is what prompted me thinking about us doing this one. Um, so, yeah, this this match is definitely in, in the echelons for Brett because he does such a good job of making Diesel look good. And then Diesel does a good job of making Brett look good. So like, and you, if you watch the King of the Ring 94 and then this, you can really see how quickly, uh, Diesel improves, uh, in the ring. And it's, it's really a great little study to watch. Yeah. He's really come along. You know, he started as a guy with, just size basically um and then but it next, turns out he actually had a lot of athletic ability as well yeah i noticed the boar um i remembered the boar saying that has his favor too and actually watching kevin nash here i'm like oh yeah of course like the, uh, so much of what the boar does uh is is straight from the kevin nash playbook you know with his own twist obviously but you could really i could really see the influence um so yeah that'll I'll, something to look for the next time we watch a vcw event um, so Brett, of course, comes out looking serious as a heart attack. He does, uh, that little eyebrow <laughs> heart attack, <laughs> get it. Um, he does a little eyebrow waggle thing though, when he looks at the belt, which I think is, is kind of cool. Um, it's like, did you just almost make a joke, Brett Hart? Like, um, <laughs> of course this starts with lots of heat on Brett, as you would expect, right? Facing a, facing a monster. He's, he's going to have to get beat up for a little bit. And I think. You know, part of what makes uh, Brett such a such a genius uh, is how real and painful he makes everything look. You know, he's already uh, a, a bit of a smaller guy, um, but then especially when he's in the ring with somebody like Diesel, who just like so overpowers and oversizes him, you sort of believe uh, you can believe that he's in danger of being like physically destroyed, and it, it makes you just root for him even harder. I think. Um, and and he just sells everything so well that you're like, man, how's how's Brett going to come back from this? How's Brett going to get out of this and and beat this Goliath? You know, this match is wonderful. And the thing I love, angry Brett. I love mean Brett. I love it when because like he suddenly gets ruthless and the stuff that he does in these no disqualification matches, he does so well to make them look real and like 
real look like a fight. So like there's none of this bullshit of wheeling a grocery cart and a trash can to the ring or kendo sticks. Brett's going to use the microphone cables. He's going to use the camera cables. He's going to, you know, he's going to try and find a wrench under the ring for tight. Like it's all, it's, it's so much more real looking with him. And this match, they immediately just like look at each other and then turn around and undo the turnbuckle covers. Brilliant. Just, just right there in front of them. Just, we know exactly where they're going with this. Yeah. They know they're ready to throw down. They're going to fight. They have the same ideas. They have the same mentality towards each other. Brett takes a humongous <laughs> bump into those steel steps. It is yeah. brutal. And then he takes some chair shots from Diesel. And then, but Brett turns it around by biting. He just bites him, bites him on the face, he bites his arm. Like, ooh, ooh. And then Brett starts working the leg. So, like, even though it's a no disqualification match, Brett is still thinking tactically not just like i just gotta keep smashing him with crazy shit i need to take those legs out i need to buckle him down i need to take the big guy down and put him in the figure four i need to put him i need to soften him up for the sharpshooter uh you know just he's always got that strategy going even though he just knows he has more tools in his shed to work with because he can't get this qualified now yeah for sure um he likes I like the biting and I like the he climbs on Diesel's back and it's like choking him. You know, it's like a like a like a little angry dog fighting a really big dog. Yeah. Um, and those kicks to uh to Kevin Nash's lower leg to soften it up, to go for the eventual mm. figure four, just so sharp and like right on the monitor and you can see like Diesel like kinda of like breaking down, breaking down, breaking down. So you know he's gonna topple over eventually. Um it's uh I like so Lawler he lays uh, Nash out you know after working on the legs for a while and Lawler says they're all the same size when they're laying down or no maybe it's Jim Ross sorry not Lawler um, says they're all the same size when they're laying down which I thought was a pretty good line Diesel shakes Brett off the top rope and he lands straddles the the rope and uh, Perfect just says uh, he's joining the Vienna Boys Choir. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they go quite so a long good. time. This whole match lasts yeah. 20, what is this, 24 and a half, actually almost 25 minutes. Um, Brett gets put through a table, and you're like, well, that's yeah, that's it. Like that, It's got to be over for him, right? Like, I think we, we need to rewind on that. You don't see, this is, this is WWF of the golden era kind of here, the good old days. You didn't see people go through tables. When tables got involved, it was scary. I vividly remember that spot from from seeing that show live, that Brett goes through the table and me, the consummate Bret Hart fan as a kid, just being like like the air sucked out of my chest because not just not just Brett is hurt, but Brett just went through the Spanish announce table. Um, I Googled it to make sure that this wasn't the first time that happened, the Spanish announce table, and it was, was not. Apparently, <laughs> it happened at, like, a Saturday night main event in, like, 1988. Like, Harley Race went through a table. The first instance of the Spanish announce table being broken was indeed at the 1995 Survivor Series, as confirmed by Carlos Cabrera, the announcer at the table. The Harley Race story was just the first time anybody in WWF had gone through any table. Uh, no, so, yeah, that was a, but that was that was a rare thing 
in the day to to have anybody go through a table. So, um, and the the Spanish announce guys were not ready whatsoever. <laughs> Poor Hugo and Carlos went diving and they hurt themselves. And like it was it was it was a rough shot. Yeah, no, that was great. <laughs> R.I.P. the Spanish announce table. <laughs> yeah, get them every time. Somebody should put and, together a. Uh, like a master loop. There's got to be one on uh, YouTube somewhere of the Spanish announce table getting destroyed. <laughs> there's there's some other vicious shots that Brett takes too. So Brett does his his famous front run into the turnbuckle, uh, but he does it into the uncovered turnbuckle, which gruesome, and he sells the hell of it amazing. Uh, and then uh, Brett finally gets the chair and starts wailing on on uh, Kevin Nash's legs which is this cruel, it looks cruel, and like you can see the anger in Brett's eyes. He's so good with that angry face that he does. Um, and then uh, I had never, I I didn't realize that like picking the guy up on your shoulder and dropping him face first onto the turnbuckle was called snake eyes until oh. recently. But JR calls it, JR calls it snake eyes in this hmm. when, when Diesel does it to Brett. I, I was completely caught off guard. I, I didn't, I didn't think that was a term yet, or I guess that term is, is old. Interesting. I didn't catch that one. Yeah. That's, uh, I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what you're saying about Brett's, uh, emoting and his acting with his eyes, you know, it's kind of surprising that he never did more acting. I know he did that lonesome, uh, lonesome dove, one of the lonesome dove movies, uh, TV movies, but he's done a couple of odds and ends, but, uh. I don't know. Maybe it's his Canadian accent that holds him back. Yeah, I mean, there's not much that he can do except for like that um, SCTV guys or something. <laughs> something with them. <clears throat> Jr. also points out that this is Brett's 41st WWF pay per view. That's insane. That is insane, and that's even more insane to think about because they had just started doing the in your house pay per views this very year. So it wasn't like. Like now, where there's like 13 premium live events a year, where you can you can wrap that up and and like as long as you have like a three year career, you can hit 41. But no, this is Brett starting at WrestleMania two in the Battle Royal all the way through. That's insane. This is <laughs> yeah, that, that's nuts. That's not that's painful to think about. And you think about him wrestling probably another what four nights a week easily the rest of the year um yeah probably more like five Uh, that's nuts so um are you ready to get to the finish on this one is there anything else you want yeah no the finish is great yeah the finish is awesome so um so brett is is laid out he's he's been beaten down uh and nash is sort of like leaning over him he's he's ready to sort of put the coup de gras on him but it turns out brett's playing possum and he grabs a hold of him and and wraps nash up in a small package uh, and gets the win and it's so fast and so smooth and he the nash rolls right out of it you know uh, the the second he releases it and and he's like he's pissed obviously and but the the ref you know the ref counted it just it's like one two three it was a uh, it's a beauty yeah and then uh, so like Diesel had brought uh, Brett back into the ring after taking taking the table uh, and is trying to jackknife him but Brett can't can't sustain himself and Diesel's just like ah, I got him now and then he picks him up for the jackknife one more time and that's when. Brett rolls him up into the small package, gets the pen, and Diesel goes nuts. And he jackknifes Brett and then beats up on all the referees that come down to try and stop him from pounding on Brett. And it's like the 
so it was kind of weird coming into this match, but both of them were kind of face. And now we definitely know Diesel is a bad guy. Diesel is the bad guy. He can't, he can't, he has zero cool. He can't keep it together. Um, he can't lose nobly like that, especially in such a, a, a weird little roll up fashion from, from the master Bret Hart. So, yeah, it's big daddy. Not very cool. Am I right? No cool. <laughs> and then as uh, as usual for some of these special then, which is like, well, and then we're out. And you roll the the two-minute little uh, package of highlights um, and call it a night. Which which begins with, with uh, a hastily patched in Mr. Perfect walking in front of an American flag <laughs> as, like... Like what? Like an American flag graphic, and like the video of Mister Perfect walking out is plastered onto it. It's it's weird. Because when I think of uh, patriotism in America, I think of Mister Perfect, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think we need to um, go in through our uh, our favorite match. I think that one's pretty obvious. Uh, anything else you want to say about uh, Diesel versus Brett here? Uh, no, I mean this was one of the live matches that were formative in my in my wrestling memory and wrestling uh, adolescence. And uh, yeah, I I thank the Boar for mentioning mentioning this uh, thing so that we could uh, go back and watch it. Sorry, there's a bumblebee buzzing <laughs> around in my basement that came out of nowhere. I have no idea where it came from. Get him on the mic. So Let's ask of, him some questions. Kind of freaking me out. It, it's it's. It's on the monitor right now. So oh, that's funny. There it goes. Okay. All right. So, yeah, <laughs> things are great right now. <laughs> Under um, any uh, least favorite match in this one? Oh, least favorite? It's probably going to be that opening Survivor Series match. Yeah, probably. That wasn't great. It, it wasn't like it was bad, but it's it's the weakest spot on the card. Yeah. Um. What do you think about in terms of an overall rating for this guy out of five five stars? It's probably a solid three and a half just because that main event is so yeah rock solid. Yeah, the main event's really good. The special attraction, Gold Dust Bam Bam match, the women's uh, Survivor Series match, and the Dark Side versus the Royals match are all pretty good. Three and a half is probably fair. Maybe three and three quarters if I'm feeling generous. Um Everything gets a half star bump for a Bret Hart match. Yeah, you catch me on the right day. This could go up to a four, but you know, not today. <laughs> Minus half a star for the Bumblebee <laughs> messing with your mojo. I know, Jesus, what a jerk! I've lost track of it too. I have no idea where it went. Yeah. Well, I hope he gets that weird fungus that all the bees are getting. So as we do every episode, we like to just take a moment to pay tribute to the men and women that we've seen who are no longer with us. So our in memoriam for Survivor Series 1995 from Landover, Maryland includes Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge, Skip Baridana, a.k.a. Chris Candido, Rad Radford, Bertha Fay, Paul Bearer, King Mabel, British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, Yokozuna, Owen Hart, Razor Ramon, Mr. Fuji, Bam Bam Bigelow, and referee Timmy White.
All right, so that's all we got for you today. We thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can always shoot us an email at uh, allthewrestlemanias at gmail.com. You can find us on the web at allthewrestlemanias.com. You can find us on Twitter at WrestlemaniaPod. And, of course, we've got all the usual socials on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for All the WrestleManias Podcast. We'll pop right up. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to ko-fi.com slash allthewrestlemanias. Drop us the cost of a cup of coffee. Helps keep us in... Uh, bandwidth and uh, equipment and we don't have advertising budget so but eventually maybe who knows um and we would certainly appreciate that um anything else you want to plug before we call it a day oh we'll see you at vcw this uh friday and saturday at odu hell yeah so long everybody yeah.